Good morning and greetings in Jesus precious name. Welcome to this morning's devotion on marriage talk. We hope that this conversations that we bring to you every month has been a blessing to you, that they have been an inspiration to you, not just in your marriages, but even in your personal growth with God. I think that one of the reasons marriage sometimes is a hard work is because of the fact that God is working on our character and God is trying to mold us from the inside and even on the outside and uh, you know this morning I'd like to bring to you a sermon that has blessed me tremendously during my young days I used to binge on Dr Ravi Zacharias's sermons and uh, he did this amazing teaching on I Isaac take the Rebecca the entire sermon is available online you can go and watch the whole thing but i'd like to play the first half of that particular sermon for you this is especially an encouragement to those that are planning to get married and are looking for a life partner and at the same time it is an encouragement to those of us who are married and want to know the principles that help us to stay married and to grow in our marriage and i hope that this word will be a blessing to you dr ravi and his wife their marriage has been such an exemplary marriage to our generation and he's been a blessing to us you know i used to be a great follower of his ministry and uh, still am it was only a couple of months back when i got to meet him in the month of february and uh, he was speaking at a pastors conference in sri lanka and that happened to be the last time that he engaged in a speaking engagement and immediately after that he had to be admitted and since then he's been on bed rest the doctors say that there's not much treatment left for him to undertake and all over the internet on twitter instagram facebook everybody is uh, tweeting or posting with the hashtag thank you ravi and i hope that you would uh, also retweet this post or retweet this podcast and and just uh, make sure to add that hashtag thank you ravi if you are blessed if you are inspired if you are empowered by this word then make sure to share it and let him know that you are blessed and uh, that's from my heart to your heart and over to the message Turn with me please to the book of Genesis chapter 24 and my message is entitled I Isaac take you Rebecca I Isaac take you Rebecca and this is primarily geared to the youth but not exclusively for them I hope it'll bring a, a smile and some sense of response from us as adults too I'll read for you verses 10 to 27 from Genesis chapter 24 Let me give you the background. The background is this, Abraham is on the verge of dying and he has his very trusted servant Eliezer. And he says to Eliezer, I would like you to go back to the home of my fathers and I would like you to find a girl from out of my people so that my son Isaac could marry her and this could be done within the context of his family. At least and in his own hometown he wanted Eliezer to go back. Eliezer is in a quandary. 
He doesn't know how to meet this kind of a demand. It is an enormous responsibility to place upon anybody. And lest you and I misunderstand this, there was a very trusting relationship between Abraham and his servant. So his servant is riding on now, and on the way he prays, and he prays this particular prayer, asking God to answer his query. And this is the way it goes from verse 10 of chapter 24. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of goods from his master. He set out for Aram Naharaim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, here it goes now, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on to the journey to the house of my fathers and my master's relatives. Everything I say hopefully will be worth believing and listening, except for the first two thoughts I want to leave with you, which are not worth believing. They may not even be worth listening to. But I'd like to share a little bit a couple of poems that I put together. Please don't bother memorizing them. They will do you no good. This is the way the first goes. As I said, neither of them are true. Love is like an onion. You taste it with delight. But when it's gone, you wonder whatever made you bite. Love is a funny thing, just like a lizard. It curls up around your heart and then jumps into your gizzard. Love is swell, it's so enticing, it's orange gel, it's strawberry icing, it's chocolate rousse, it's roasted goose, it's ham on rye, it's banana pie. Love is all good things without a question. In other words, it's indigestion. <laughs> There's another one that goes this way. Slippery ice, very thin, pretty girl tumbles in, saw a boy on the bank, gave a shriek, then she sank. Boy on hand, heard her shout, jumped right in, pulled her out. Now she's his, very nice, but she had to break the ice. <laughs> 
That particular word love is probably one of the most used and most abused epithets that mankind has ever conceived in his mind. It has brought peace to many a heart and the same word misunderstood and abused has broken many a life. And as you and I begin to look at this theme, I want particularly to challenge those of you who are in your high school and college days with certain principles that the Bible gives to you that are undeniable if you are to build a successful home. If you deny these, you will only end up proving the word of God, not breaking it. It's important to know that any human being who violates the laws of God ends up only proving it, not destroying it. And the word of God remains eternal, and those who have tried to bury it have found out that the Bible only rises up to outlive her pallbearers. And here in this first book of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, which is our roots, it begins with the words, in the beginning God, and ends with the words, so Joseph died and was buried. I find that fascinating. It starts off with God and ends up with man in a coffin. But if you take those first few words, in the beginning God, I think it is Dr. Billy Graham who once said, I have no problem believing that the whale swallowed Jonah. I would have even believed it if Jonah had swallowed the whale. And the mystic A.W. Tozer said, give me Genesis 1.1 and the rest of the Bible poses no problem for me. Once you take the assumption of God, many other deductions for life follow. And it is a famous Jewish scholar who was co-editor of the encyclopedia of the great books of the Western world, 53 volumes in which there are essays on every subject you can think of, at least in terms of major need to be addressed. The longest article is on God. And Mortimer Adler says this, the reason the longest article is on God, please follow me now, the reason the longest article is on God is because more consequences for life and conduct follow from that belief than any other belief in life. That's the reason it is the most significant article. Now God instituted marriage when he had created all around him with goodness he looked at Adam and said it was not good for man to be alone and created that partner for him and romance and marriage and commitment became the very fabric of society. The home was instituted before the church was. And the home is intended by God. Please listen to me. The home is intended by God to be the microcosm of which the scene of history was only then to become the macrocosm. If our homes fail, history collapses. And here we've got a key narrative of the whole process of how Abraham worried about his entire generation to come, claiming the promise of God, called upon his trusted servant and said, I want you to help me out in this. Would you pursue these instructions and find the woman? whom my son Isaac should marry, this chosen seed. Now, you and I will have difficulty living in the western part of the world to understand some of these concepts, but may I try to delineate for you that in principle, these hold true whether east or west. Certain infrastructures and patterns may change, but the principles necessarily abide. Here's what happens. He sends Eliezer, 
and moves him in the direction so that he can go and find a bride for Isaac. When you use the word love, the word love comes in many, many connotations in the Bible. The love of man for man, the love of parent for child, the love of child for parent, the love of brother for brother, the love of God for man, the love of man for God. And all of these relationships end up using similar words in the English language. But out of all of these relationships, there is only one where there is a physical consummation, and that is that of a man and a woman. There is no physical consummation between parent and child. There is no physical consummation between brother and brother. There is no physical consummation in that spirit relationship between God and man. It is only in the culmination of a man and woman in relationship where the spirits are meshed in a commitment of love that the body consummation takes place as almost that commitment of sacredness which is not to be violated upon. So he's sending him now, not just to look for a love, but to find the girl that Isaac was going to be wedded to. And what I see emerging is something fascinating. Number one, Isaac was not the only one involved in this selection process, and I think that's pivotal. Abraham had prayed, Eliezer was sent, God was concerned, a man laid a fleece before God in that particular setting, and he and God were in communion, a trusted servant and a devoted father played a vital part in the selection of the bride. Now you and I find that very difficult here. You see, when you begin dating and get involved in a romance here, we run into many dangerous settings where we get our hearts involved so quickly that our minds are not functioning anymore and then we end up seeing our parents as interrupters of a relationship rather than as wise ones assisting us to seek the right one. I want to be very careful because one has to be careful when he makes an absolute statement. And I don't want to kill an absolute statement by qualifying it too much, but I do want to say this. Chances are, if you marry somebody in violation with your parents' will, I suggest you are playing a dangerous game with God. That says, carefully as I probably could state it, just like at any time, when you violate an authority that has been placed by God, you need to be twice as sure you are doing the right thing. I just say this very plainly to you, young people. Be immensely careful when you make the pledge of your life to somebody if your parents are not in sympathy with it. Particularly so if your parents are men and women who love God. You know, I say this from an honest experience myself. I found this very hard to make. I found this commitment hard to make because I'd come from one part of the world, my wife had come from another part of the world, and when we first met and developed an interest in each other, neither of our parents were for it. And I ran into a headlong question in my own mind as to to what degree I was going to obey this principle, and it became a singularly important principle in our friendship, where finally, as much as there was a struggle within my soul, I clearly had stated that if our parents were not for this relationship, there was no way I could seek the blessing of God, knowing both of our parents dearly loved our Heavenly Father too. I want to give you an example of my older brother, who is presently living in Paris, France. He runs a computer consulting company of his own there. He used to be a systems engineer with IBM. 
So mentally, he's all right. He, he's okay. He's really not got any major problem as far as his IQ is concerned. In the late 1960s, he came to my father one day. This is my older brother, two years older than me, and uh, always Mr. Conservative. And he came to my father one day and said, you know, Dad, I've always maintained it when we were in India and when I was here, that I'm only going to marry the girl you choose for me. And I guess I am uh, ready now. He was in his mid-twenties. Would you please begin the search for a girl for me to marry? I really didn't believe he'd do that. We were living in Toronto, but uh, here was his personal order now. And my father and mother said, fine, would you sit down and tell us the kind of girl you're looking for? And he gave his uh, biodata sketch and what he was looking for. And uh, normally, the parents would go and travel around and look for somebody. But in this instance, he said, look, you really don't even need to do that. Why don't you just write to your sister in Bombay and let her do the hunting around and we'll correspond back and forth and settle this minor issue. And uh, my father wrote to his sister and she finally found the girl and wrote back. There were many letters coming with photographs and vita sheets and so forth. The engagement and the marriage was set with these two never having met. He flew out from Toronto with my father to go to Bombay. The wedding invitations, over a thousand of them were sent out before they'd even seen each other. I said, oh my, you know, this is, uh, this is faith. Uh, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's something incredible. And uh, um, I began to get really concerned. And so finally, before he left, I said, I want to ask you just one question. I don't want to challenge anything you're doing. What are you going to do when you arrive in Bombay? And you come down that stairway there and you see a girl standing there with a garland in her hand and you say to yourself, good grief, you know, I hope that's not her. I hope that's somebody else. Or she looks at you and says, I hope that's not him. I hope that's his brother. Uh, whatever. What are you going to do? Are you going to sort of get on the telephone or write letters to everybody and say, folks, we've met the weddings off? The guests were invited before they'd seen each other. And he just kept staring at me. And then he said this, which is what I want to leave with you. He said, are you through? I said, yep. He said, write it down. And don't ever forget it. He said, love is as much a question of the will as it is of the emotion. And if you will to love somebody, you can. And you know, 18 years ago, he was married to Norma. And they make their home in France today with three lovely children and a marriage that is uh, one committed to God, where every member of the family is committed to the Lord, where the father and mother are deeply committed to Jesus Christ. And the more I think of that statement, the more I think it has not been understood by you and me. You see, I was married in 1972. But one year before I was married, I was uh, sitting in a theological class dealing with Christian education. I don't know what it had to do with the subject, but the professor said, I want you students to know that love is hard work. And I leaned over to my classmate and said, I don't like that categorization of love as hard work. I said, I wouldn't want to be married to anybody who goes around telling everybody how hard it is to love me. He said, yeah, I agree with you. Why don't you ask him? And like a fool, I did. I stood up and I said, excuse me, sir. I said, I don't like your categorization of love as hard work. He says, Zacharias, are you married? I said, no. He said, then shut up and sit down. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> One year later, I was married. And now after being married, may I say unblushingly, he was right. 
It is hard work. You see, folks, the easiest part of our marriage was the wedding ceremony. I, I remember going in there early, and Margie, in right fashion from that day till now, has always been late. And she arrived there. I was standing at the front. And when I turned back to see her coming, it was one of the most ecstatic feelings the human heart could ever endure. There is no word in the English dictionary to describe it, except probably the word, wow. <laughs> and she came up to the front, and your heart was in a flutter the whole time. You see, on that May 6, 1972, she looked grand, absolutely grand. But five years later, she had some funny things in her hair at night, <laughs> which generally prompted one question, what stations are you able to get under that influence, you see? Somehow the first word that leaps to your mind is not the word, wow. <laughs> but you still, you still love because Love is stronger than merely the flutter of a heart. If there's one example I have seen in my father-in-law, it is that constant gentlemanly nature that has reinforced this in my mind, the gentleness, the kindness, the affection, and the love. And all I'm saying to you young people is this, don't be deceived by merely the flutter of a heart. For love is an enormous commitment, a commitment that will test you at some of your most vulnerable areas of spirituality, a commitment that will force you to make choices between some very, very difficult issues that you will be faced with, and a commitment that will force you to deal with your lust, with your greed, and with your pride, and every area of temptation that the Bible really talks about. It demands of you that quality of commitment which Jesus uses as an analogy in his relationship to us. Of all the analogies in this world, he takes the relationship of a bridegroom and of all of the categorizations of the church, he takes the loveliest of them all and calls us his bride as he is the bridegroom. And if greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friend, it probably is more difficult to live a life of death than to just die in one moment. And that commitment is a constant dying to self and giving. It is hard work, and that's why, that's why, please hear me, when you come to that pivotal moment of decision, my suggestion to you is seek the advice of somebody you love and respect, and don't try to do it on your own just because you have the romantic feelings. Get the wisdom of your minister, the wisdom of your parents, the wisdom of friends, and realize that romance has to be transcended by a strong will and a degree of commitment to you. Secondly, not only was the will involved in the process of selection, Rebecca emerges to me as a lovely woman in her kindness. I don't know if you and I have ever given thought to how much a camel drinks. You know, I'm not sure I would have wanted to give one camel her load of drink for the day. This girl said, I'll give all ten of them. You just relax, sir. I'll not only give you the water, I will take care of your camels too. The sense of chivalry and the sense of kindness that emerges. When one travels and one visits different cultures, you get into different settings, you get into different homes, and one of the things that always leaps out in any relationship 
if you notice a couple that is unkind in their relationship to each other. And I want to go so far as to say there is never a reason to be unkind. There may be reasons to disagree. There may be reasons to struggle. After all, two wills are merging into one. There are constant compromises and surrenders, but there is never a reason to be unkind. Particularly when you're tempering with the very fragile nature of people's sensitivities. I have prayed constantly that God will so fill our bodies and our minds with his presence that even in some of the difficult moments, if we have to go through them of disagreement, there will never be a reason so strong to force one person to be rude to the other. I like what Chuck Swindoll says in one of his descriptions. It's a magnificent word. He talks about cherishing your partner. I don't know if Dr. Dobson addresses this, but I think if he does in this area, somebody once talked to me about it. I certainly believe he is correct in stating this. There are times in your relationship of husband and wife, and uh, I really don't say this to be ridiculous or funny, but a woman's mind being what it is, there are times she will actually look at you and say to you, I'm feeling down. I'm feeling very, very unhappy, and I really can't even tell you what the reason is. All I know is that I want to be loved. There are times when no amount of talk is what she's looking for, possibly just the putting of the arm around and that of comfort. And I've had people come into the counseling room and say this to me that he somehow thinks I'm looking for a long speech or a long explanation or some kind of a propositional solution to the situation. She says, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why it is wrong. I only want to know that he loves me and that he cares for me. Love suffers long and is kind. And the Bible says to provoke one another to good works. Young people, this is the moment in your life, please hear me, when he who is wooing you will be at his kindest. And if you do not see that kindness in that person, watch out. For that partnership will be nourished and nurtured on the basis of a love that is not arrogant, but a love that is kind. Wow, 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 what an amazing word that was. I hope that uh, you have taken some lessons. Let me just repeat a couple of things that he did mention. He said that it is necessary for us to begin with this perspective that love is your choice. It's not some feeling or flutter that happens in your heart. And love is something that you have to actively choose and you have to remain in that position of choosing and only then you can continue to grow and sustain that love. The second thing that he was talking about was uh, the involvement of people other than you in your marriage. It's necessary that your parents, your spiritual parents, your mentors, your guides, your close acquaintances, you know, those people that have a voice in your life, that they be also part of the journey of you making this decision to get married to who you would get married to and even after marriage that you would continue to remain accountable and receptive 
to advice and encouragement from people outside of your marriage and the third thing that he mentioned was i think of the greatest importance especially in our generation he said there is absolutely no reason for us to be unkind to each other we may have a lot of struggle in trying to agree with each other but there's absolutely no reason why you have to be rude why you have to lose your cool every single time that there is a disagreement why you have to call each other names and begin to point fingers at each other's families and all of that is absolutely irrational uh, so i pray and i hope that this word has been a blessing to you this morning please make sure to tweet this out to your friends or share it on your instagram stories whatsapp stories and put a hashtag thank you ravi God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Marriage Talk this morning. We will catch up with you next week.